2: This is Ken McCusick, joined here by Football Outsiders, Vincent Verhey. Did I have that, pronounce that correctly, Vincent? You actually did, which
3: puts you on a very short list of people who have gotten that name right in the first try. So congratulations. You're in, in an
2: elite club. I appreciate that, Vincent. And uh, uh, we're going to talk about an interesting topic that if you read my stuff or you like the NFL or the Ravens in general, you're going to love to hear about this one. It's about the Ravens pass rush. In relation to other pass rushes in the NFL, Vincent did a great article which looks at uh, pass rushes by multiple uh, players, whether it's three, four, five, or more, uh, You know what defines a blitz and all that. We're going to hit on a lot of that today, and then we're going to talk about how a lot of it applies specifically to the Ravens. So, Vincent, first of all, thanks for joining us. You're welcome. Thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. You're from Football Outsiders. You you work there. That's where your writing is. Tell us a little bit first of all about the Football Outsiders site, when it started, and kind of what information is there.
3: So the history of Football Outsiders. Uh, our editor in chief, Aaron Schatz, is a Ivy League educated, a uh, bit of a Renaissance man. He was working in radio in the uh, earlier part of uh, this century and last century, I believe, and uh, worked for Lycos for a while. For those of you who've been on the internet for a long time, and Sometime around 03, 04, I forget the exact year, but Moneyball was the hot term um, in baseball. And, and analytics in baseball were just starting to take over. And at that time, there was not a lot of similar work being done for the NFL. And so he started a uh, football analytics site. And I'm very happy he did because it has given me the opportunity to write about it and study it. So uh, that's what we've been doing. That, that's what Football Outsiders is. And we've uh, incorporated film study uh, some creative writing, historical pieces, a little of this, a little of that. But the the, the nut of what we do is uh, play-by-play statistical analysis. That's what sets us apart from most football sites out there.
2: Okay, so uh, Pro Football Focus also would be a similar site in terms of doing play-by-play analysis. Do you people go to the same extent in terms of having participation by play? It looks like from some of the number of defensive backs by play, you probably have that.
3: Uh, we have different sources of information. Pro Football Focus does, they do play-by-play uh, uh, analysis, but they're more uh, on individual grades of, uh, of you know, each, each player on the field. What we do more is, is the effect of each play on a team-wide basis, and we don't put as much stress on figuring out which of the 11 players made that play work Um we're, we're more into the big picture kind of thing. Uh, I guess you could say we study the forest. They study the trees.
2: Gotcha. Okay. And so Davoa is the forest in a certain subway, which is a measure of how often teams win plays primarily. Basically,
3: uh, the, the, the the key stat of what we do is... Um, DeVoe is one way to say it. I haven't heard that one before, but it works. Um, we, we usually say DVOA. Uh, it stands for Defense Adjusted Value Over Average, which is a hell of a mouthful. Um, don't blame me. It was like that when I got here. But <laughs> it's, essentially it grades one play at a time, um, not just for yardage, because a two-yard gain on a third and one is a hell of a lot better than a 10-yard gain on a third and 20, just to name one example. Um, so we're looking at the ability to generate new first downs, Uh, The ability to move the ball consistently does not have one 90-yard gain and a bunch of incompletions. Um, The ability to avoid turnovers, perform in the red zone, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then each play is adjusted not only for the opposition, which is the, 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 the D stands for defense adjusted, even though we use it to analyze defenses too, looking at the opposing offense, but it's adjusted for the opponent, it's adjusted for the weather to, to a degree, it's adjusted for down and distance, uh, the score, field position, you know, it's a lot easier to get touchdowns in the red zone, obviously. Uh, it's a lot easier to run the ball when you're down by 20 points in the fourth quarter. Um, so we put, try to put everything into context as best we can, and DVOA
2: is the percentage that comes out of that. Okay, I'm going to try and call it DVOA, but I've been calling it Devoa for so long that you I'm not have a hard time. Either one works. All
3: right. Like I say, it's a mouthful either way. So whatever you are comfortable with, I can make it work. (laughs)
2: Okay. I'll thank you for being flexible. Um, The Ravens often have been towards the top of Devoa and an interesting stat because a positive Devoa is good for the offense. A negative Devoa is good for the defense. So if you're looking at the Ravens or looking at the defensive side, you see a huge negative Devoa. It's a good thing, not a bad thing. It's a good good thing for the Ravens defense. And, uh, yeah, I'm looking up
3: their uh, – history of uh, that right now. Obviously, if, if you look at the long-term trends of the uh, 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 Ravens, they've been a defensive team for most of the century.
2: Yes, very much so. All right, so I want to talk definitions a little bit, and and uh, the people who follow me oftentimes tend to be football modelers of some type, and, and they often will want to know kind of some specifics about what's included in your pass rush numbers, but want to introduce the article first, talk a little bit about w- what Information Football Outsiders has and how you're organizing it to uh, to make the comparisons you do. All
3: right, the, the we did an article, a series of articles uh, about pass rush uh, of the 2019 season in the past uh, couple of weeks. Uh, the one where Baltimore really stands out is just defense by number of pass rushers, and we sorted it out the results of each play. Uh, well, by the number of pass rushers they had, uh, three or fewer, uh, four at a time. Five at a time, six or more at a time, and then when the Ravens really took over, which is defensive back blitzes. So, for each of those categories, we looked at how often each team, each defense used that tactic, uh, how often they were able to get pressure on the quarterback, and then using Devoa, uh, how effective they were when using that the
2: the four uh, using that particular set of pass rush. Okay, so one thing, if you look at the article, and I highly recommend you go out to it, so you go to Football Outsiders and look for what, it's in the, st- in the analysis section? If You just go to the front
3: page and uh, scroll down to the bottom. Footballoutsiders.com is the front page. Down at the bottom, will say load more articles. You may have to uh, pour through that for a page or two, uh, but that's one way to do it. Um, in fact, that's the best way to find it. Or you can go to analysis. And then just do stat analysis. But most of our articles fall into that category anyway. So um, a couple of ways to find it. But uh, anyway, yes. If that's you, where you also
2: can Google Verhai pass rush Ravens and you get right to it. I just did that oh. to, to find it. So and- lots of ways to find the same stuff. One of the really cool things about this site is interactive tables that are within the article. So you'll want to – if you want to sort by different things and for the even for the three-man pass rush – there's the frequency and the pressure rate and the devoe associated with those things. You you can, you can sort by whatever you like to rank them from top to bottom. So it's really well done from that perspective. And it's something that, uh, you know, you don't see, I don't think on a lot of other sites. Well, thank you.
3: I'm glad you enjoyed that. Uh, that's something that was, our readers have been asking for, for, well, forever really. And we actually, football outsiders got purchased by a company called edge analytics based out of Louisville, Kentucky, uh, Two years ago actually coming up on the anniversary and they were the ones who helped us get that set up. So you have full credit to our overlords at
2: Analytics. <laughs> <at Dent>
1: <laughs> all right, very good. This
2: is good. I was worried about you not being good on podcasts. You're funny. This is this okay. is good stuff. Okay. Um all right. So let's look at the at the three man pass rush. Tell us a little bit about that, where Baltimore fits in. Uh
3: well the th- you know, most teams, most teams use three-man pass rushes sparingly. If you've ever, uh, I'm sure everyone at some point has watched their team rush three, drop eight, give the quarterback 10 seconds in the pocket and give him a first down and curse to their TV. It happens a lot of time. For most teams, it's not an effective strategy. Um, Baltimore only use a three-man pass rush 7% of the time, which is eh, slightly below average, right in the middle of the pack. Nothing special about that. They were more effective than most. Uh, DeVoa of minus 37%, which is in the top five in the league for when they do, did that, although you know, over 500 passes using that 7% of the time. That's about three dozen plays. So, tiny little sample size. I wouldn't read too much into their effectiveness of that. What's most interesting is that the, the teams that use three man pass rushes a lot, it's basically Bill Belichick and his disciples. You've got the Patriots, you've got Matt Patricia in Detroit. You've got Brian Flores in Miami, and you got Mike Rabel in Tennessee. And the one team that sticks out that there's not an immediate Belichick connection is, is Washington. But basically, it's a tactic that Bill Belichick has used very effectively with the Patriots over the years. Uh, and his his, his the, the the branches of his coaching tree have tried to use it and generally have not had the same success.
2: Okay. Now, noticing that the league-wide success on the play is not good. So 16.9% Devoe means the offense is winning a, a high percentage of those plays. Is it a normalized statistic or is this normalized over a period of years such that you would expect uh, all pass plays to have a net zero DeVoa over either a period of years or a single year?
3: That's a very good question and a little bit of a complicated answer. So it is normalized for every single year, but it is normalized against the average offensive play, including runs. Mm
1: -hmm.
3: And since passing is more efficient than runs, Pass defense will always, you know, league-wide, uh, the, the the average pass defense will always be higher than average. You know, 16% is a, a, a bad defense. Uh, but since it's, only, since it's only looking at passing plays, it's not quite as bad as it sounds. Does that make sense?
2: Yes. Can you give me a league-wide baseline for pass plays as opposed to run plays? So is it like plus 8 and minus 4 or something or plus 8 and minus 10 maybe because there's more pass plays? Or what are we talking about?
3: Yeah, uh, I'll tell you what. I'll look at the 16th place team in both categories last year. Uh, yeah. So it's basically based the midpoint, the median. Uh, 16 in pass defense last year is Philadelphia at 5.6%. So that's about average. It's around five or six. Uh, the average run defense last year uh, minus 10%. Denver. So you're looking at a swing of somewhere around uh, uh, five to 10%. Uh, and you know that's normalized each year so that might vary in a specific year if there's extreme results but um but I gives you an example but basically pass defense is more has a bigger effect on overall defense uh and pass offense usually uh baltimore may be an exception to that but pass offense usually is a bigger part of overall offense than the russian game is
2: because that's what the nfl is in 2020 right understood so th- that that almost works out in terms of my expectation of how many what passes there are as a percentage of total plays and yep. it also frames up that a three-man rush you're giving up something as a defense typically to do that
3: yeah um if, if you're just rushing three over and over again i know we're we're here to talk about baltimore not detroit but um if you just rush three a all the time just for the sake of rushing three you're not really accomplishing anything and um that's basically what detroit did and their defense was not very good last year uh, New England had a great defense. While they rushed three a lot, but they didn't rush three just for the sake of rushing three because they were all they blitzed more than the average team. So they were using their three-man rush to set things up, to disguise schemes, to confuse quarterbacks, and to set up blitzes on on later downs. So uh, off-speed pitch. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It was. It helped them. Uh, it, it, it was part of a, a, a grander scheme of a plan. than rather than let's rush three and drop eight in coverage every down, um, so no, the, the three-man rush as a as a tool is generally ineffective. As, as we go down through these these categories, you'll see that the more pass rushers you use, um, the better it usually is for the defense. This does not mean that teams should blitz every single play. Um, you have to incorporate, you know, the element of surprise and, uh, w- when is it important to take a risk versus when can you, you know, if you're up by 20 points and you give up a first down, it's inbound, if it's inbound, you're fine with that, that sort of thing. Um, it does mean NFL
2: teams probably don't blitz as much as they should. Right. I've, I've often thought that, and in particular, and I'd love to get your thoughts on this, Vincent, that, Teams uh, playing with a small lead and defending a long field don't realize how important it is to take risks to get off the field, particularly against four-down football.
3: Oh, that's probably, that, oh, yeah, uh, especially if it's a three-point uh, three lead. Um, you know, I, I agree 100%. Um, there's a lot of things. Uh, if your audience is into analytics a lot, they'll know NFL teams don't pass as much as they should. They don't go for it on fourth down as often as they should. Uh, they probably don't blitz as often as they should, and especially they probably get too conservative with narrow leads like that. If, uh, I, I'm, I, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I'm sure if we broke it down, we would find by
2: and large that they, they tend to get a little uh, timid. I think is a good word. Right. So uh, And that would apply probably to both offense and defense. So I, I, I thought, uh, you know, when when the famous fourth and two play at Belichick at his own 29-yard line failed against the Colts, that it would still usher in a new era. It really hasn't, you know, that, that same weekend, we had a, a kneeling kick from Jacksonville where Del Rio basically said, we don't want the touchdown. We want to wait until the final second and take our chances on the kick. Uh, you know, I thought that that would really usher in a new era of analytics being a more important part of things that was, I think it might've been 2007. We're talking about now, but it's really taken many years. It's a very slow evolution.
3: Yeah, uh, no, I agree. Um, Teams have been uh, reluctant about that for a long time. And and that's a play where every set of numbers you would have looked at, they had a better chance of winning by going forward on that fourth down than by punting. Oh, yeah. Uh, And I've tried to explain to people, you know, just because that is a particularly memorable play. Um, If they punted, Peyton Manning probably still would have driven for a winning score anyway.
2: So, yeah, and that's true. And they and they had redraw value as well. So if they had allowed that score, they still had another chance to 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 score themselves. It's kind of like if you if you get beaten by the flush on the turn, you still have a chance to f- draw to a full house on the river, kind of thing. Yeah, so it's it's it, anyway. No, it, it, it's
3: no. You're right. Um, it, it started to come around these past two years. Um, teams last year went for it on fourth down ten uh, percent of the time, which is the highest that we've studied in recent history. And I'm guessing you're aware of this, but the leader in that was the Baltimore Ravens who, you know, if if you have a Lamar Jackson, if you have a healthy Cam Newton, uh, a healthy Michael Vick, a runner in that category, you basically should go for a fourth and one, any spot in the field, any score. (laughs) The odds are so much in your favor with a mobile quarterback of what you can do.
2: Yep. It's, uh, it, it's, we've looked a little bit at some of the series success rate from the drive analytics on Football Outsiders to really under look under that. And I had a, a really great analyst friend of mine come on and talk about uh, how did the Ravens differ from other teams in terms of when they ran on first down? Because they were, they were roughly equally successfully to some of the good teams when they passed on first down, but they were head and shoulders above everybody else when they ran on first down, which is unusual
3: yeah and that's um we'd have to uh, honestly you'd be able to better answer this question or, or or say this than I would, but that's something that can be the effect of a runner like lamar jackson oh, yeah. um yeah i I, I'm, I i live in Seattle, so i watched uh Pete russell wilson or, uh, as a as a runner um in in twenty fourteen when they got to the super Bowl just running all over everybody um and it, it you know it's it's that you know, even a very simple zone read play, just having the quarterback fake like he might keep the ball and run that's going to freeze the backside in, and that's going to open up a cutback lane it, it's not it's not rocket science um, no it's really simple football as most high school and college coaches have been able to tell you for 20 years make the defense play against all 11 men and
2: it makes running it makes the running game much easier it is it is a lot of fun to watch. I mean, I, I've been a defensive football fan for so long, but I've, I've really got into this. But let's get back to your article a little bit. Talk about the four-man pass rush a little bit. You've got some good stats on that. The Ravens, not a big four-man pass rush team, largely because they don't have one-on-one winners. I w- and I do want to talk a little bit about four-man pass rushes versus four-man pass rushes here. Yeah, the
3: Ravens dead last in four-man rushes. They only used a four-man rush 46% of the time. The only team. To use a four-man rush, less than half of all pass plays. And when you look at the teams that use four the most, it's the Chargers with uh, uh, Joey Bosa and, uh, uh, excuse, uh, uh, and Melvin Ingram. Thank you. And my, i my said and Melvin Gordon. I was the other two confused. Uh, the Raiders. You know, you, you don't think of the Raiders as dominant pass rushers, but they're led. Their pass rush is led by their Ed rush, Ed rushers, Max Crosby, uh, Benson Mayoa, even though he's in Seattle now. Um, the 49ers, of course, have the other Bosa, <laughs> and mm-hmm. and then you get to the Eagles uh, uh, with uh, Brandon Graham and Derek Barnett. So most teams that use four-man pass rushers a lot are those that can count on a pair of bookend pass rushers who uh, can handle things by themselves. This allows the defense to play more—the the coverage, I should say, to play more conservative behind them. Um, again, this isn't rocket science. If you can steadily get pressure with four men, it gives it makes life much easier on your defensive backs.
2: Right. I, and I think that most teams, if they had their druthers, most defensive coordinators would like to rush for more. But if you don't have the horses for it, you don't have the horses for it. And some teams are really built that way. The Ravens are certainly not built that way. They really lack one-on-one winners. And the Devoa really showed up. Well, I, I don't know how poorly it showed up, but given all the other defensive assets they have, to be worse than the league average in terms of Devoa on four-man rushes, is pretty bad for the Ravens.
3: Yeah, their uh, DeVoe was thirteen and a half percent league average with four man rush, is nine percent. So they were not, certainly not horrible with a four man rush, but below average. Um, and like you say, they don't they don't have uh, the uh, they don't have a Bosa. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, they don't, or you know, to go back in Ravens terms, they don't have Terrell Suggs anymore. You know, they don't have that guy who can be counted on to win a one on one matchup or to generate enough double teams to open up opportunities to the side. So yeah, um, the teams, in, in, you know, coaches who want to do this are going to be the, the teams that want to rush for are going to move heaven and earth to make sure they got a good pair of pass rushers. Teams that want to blitz are going to say, well, we'll get pressure with numbers anyway. We don't necessarily need to dominate in a one-on-one aspect. We can get by with lesser, uh,
2: uh, players there. Okay, now I did want to talk about the four-man pass rushes versus four-man pass rushes concept. So the way I chart it is, you have the number who rush, you have the number who drop from the line of scrimmage, you have individual blitzes tagged, uh, individual stunts tagged, and then that gives you uh, the elements of of deception that I count. So there's um, uh, blitzes from off the line of scrimmage. I'm defining as people who blitz from. A yard and a half off the line of scrimmage. There are various okay. definition of blitz out there, mm-hmm. but I'll, the most common one seems to be five plus. So, is that what you guys would use normally if you're using it in an article?
3: Uh, typically, yes. Uh, we we typically call a blitz anything of five or more. Uh, anything of six or more, we call a big blitz. Uh, mm-hmm. We don't we don't have the kind of film, uh film study data to identify different chart uh, uh, stunts. Or games or anything like that, uh, or, or necessarily zone blitzes. We have, as we get to here, defensive back blitzes. Um, but uh, as far as more specifically where that, that's based on personnel, that's not based on where they line up on the field or in the staff or or, or a coordinated pass rush. It's it, that's strictly based on numbers and and, and, and roster. Um, so in this in this story here, we actually I actually took the time to just break it down into three categories. Uh, five man rushes specifically, and then six plus rushers, and then lump those two together into groups of five or more.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: You want to talk about the results for that? The results for that are Baltimore blitzes a lot. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, they led the league using a five man, exactly five man rush, 37% of the time. Uh, that's not just the highest in the league last year, it was the highest uh, since at least 20, uh, 2011 um, the Packers that year were also at 36%. So, um, to be honest, we have, we have data for that hand. Uh, we have data for that, but it wasn't handy when I was writing this article. So I thought, well, that's nine years. I, I'm, <laughs> I'm not going to bring my back to find
2: out. So, um, yeah. hey, so they, the, the first, first thing of, was they rushed a my, ton. I, I'm sorry, you go ahead. No, I, I, the first point was that they rushed a ton with a five-man rush, but they're also very successful with the five-man rush. They were very successful, the
3: five-man rush. Uh, minus 40 percent, uh, uh, Devoa was third in the league. And you look at the two teams better than them in that category. You got New England, which only used five, 23 percent of the time. So, you know, here's Baltimore using it more than a third. New England's just under a quarter. And then Buffalo was better with it, but they only used it 18 percent of the time. So those teams were effective with it in large part because the offense was less prepared because they were more rare. Um Teams knew the Ravens were going to use five-man rushes and were still not able to do much with it, do much against it.
2: Uh, they they really still couldn't stop it. And they, The scheme that Martindale has brought, he's been willing to be very extreme about it because they obviously have a secondary they can lean on in terms of getting additional uh, time in coverage, get some coverage sacks out of it. That's one thing I meant to ask you about. What does Devoe use as a time standard for a pressure? So you guys have a pr- pressure rate here. Yes, does that have to happen within three seconds, two and a half? what do you what do you use? Yeah, that is
3: is the quarterback uh, no, no, there's it's not time coordinated
2: at all. It's
3: just is the quarterback throwing a pass or being sacked uh, as he is being pressured, whether okay. that takes two seconds whether that takes eight seconds, uh, it's just passes thrown under pressure plus sacks or and, okay. now, and also scrambles chased out of the pocket.
2: Okay, so your and and that is an important point. There is your five-man rushes. The denominator for the for the plays is going to be, and I'm going to toss this all out here. It's your total number of pass plays minus any uh, spikes. I'm assuming yes, minus any are, plays from the one or two yard line. Right.
3: Uh, spikes are removed. Plays from the one and two are not necessarily. Um, uh, th- those are um, frankly, they're such a small part of the sample size. Um, we just we have never bothered to remove
2: them. Okay, I thought I saw in the article that they were removed for some reason, but um, I may be incorrect. So
3: uh... a lot of people do, and uh, you may have read a similar article that that, that did that. And uh, frankly, you could argue for why we could or why we
2: should, um, but we did not. Okay, and it, just all I really want to know is the definition for that. So, if the quarterback scrambles from the pocket, if they leave the pocket and get positive yardage, that's still showing up in a as a intended pass play that has a is included in the denominator of the blitzes, right? Exactly. Okay, so that that accounts for a little bit of the difference because I've actually got the Ravens over 50 percent, about 52 percent, 305 out of 579 is my number for. Five plus man rushes. So it seems like the scramble numbers actually, if anything, um, reduce. Sorry, no, eliminate think, the scramble numbers increases it.
3: Yeah, um, I could. Um, I'd have to break down because we do have, you know, scrambles listed. I have to. I'd have to go through the numbers and double check how many scrambles off a of five man rush the Ravens had. But that's probably the, the biggest factor. Um, the other factor is. You you're aware of this as someone who does this. Uh, I don't know how many people know this, but charting NFL defenses is, is really really hard, mm-hmm. and it can be really hard to tell what a guy is what a guy is doing, why he's doing it, and just as importantly, what he is supposed to be doing. Um, it's, it's it's not always clear. If, if you're on Twitter a lot, you will see prominent NFL defenders. Um, I shouldn't say arguing, but discussing with each other what a defender's assignment is in a given play. Mm -hmm. And, and, um, I'm trying to remember the last one I saw, I think Eric Weddle was involved. Um, but you know, the people who do this for a living still can't always tell what a guy's supposed to be doing. Um, (laughs) so it's a really, really, really complicated game. It's really hard to get a handle on sometimes. And because of that, it can be very hard to measure.
2: I, I agree completely. And all, all I want is a consistency and I'm looking for broad brush when we're comparing numbers and just saying, hey, why might this be different kind of thing? And I don't know about you, Vincent, but I'm I'm very much of the opinion that people who have models, if they look at it from a glasses half empty perspective and they come into a you know, looking at somebody else's model belligerently and saying well I don't agree with that I don't agree with that this model sucks it's just not useful you're not growing as a model yourself you need to you need to look at the other person's model and see what's good about it and see hey I could use that or that pieces of information is new so I, I just I, I don't have a lot of respect for that when I do see it but uh, uh, you know you you earn the right to bash somebody's model when you fully understand it that's that's the first point you get to you get to do it and then still you probably shouldn't do it
3: yeah, um, it, it it's there's there's
2: uh, what's the expression uh,
3: different ways to skin a cat, I guess. But mm-hmm. yeah, um, if you're if you're doing this and um and you want to be good at it, you need to look at what other people are doing and see what are they doing that you can use to improve your work. Um, at the same time, what can you do to separate yourself and differentiate yourself? Don't just repeat their work. Um, That's right. That's exactly right. It, it's it's a. And it, it's you know changed a lot. It's changed more in the past probably three years than it did in the prior fifteen. So yeah. um, it's it, it's a it's a game you got to
2: stay Got to fight to stay on top of. Yeah, I, I agree completely, Vincent. You know, with the, all the ability to scrape today, what I encourage modelers to do is basically take that scrape data, but then figure out what you're what you're going to layer on. To the stuff that's already publicly available that's going to be different and make it a study a new study as opposed to something you're where you're redoing a redoing experiment that somebody else has done and you know think you're doing it better in terms of the uh, of of grading it differently
3: yeah and, and uh another suggestion i would make to people looking to, to get started in this kind of thing or or, or get their foot in the door is uh, uh, bill james the famous baseball statistician yep. uh, had a uh, a comment about new stats. I'm, I'm paraphrasing here, so I may get the specifics wrong. But anytime you new, make a new metric or a new statistic or new measurement, or whatever, about 80% of the results should be what you expect, and it's those 20% that you focus on and figure out that that's the surprise. But you know, if, if I'm making a, if I'm making a, a, a well, this, this this off season, I did a look at running quarterbacks, the best running quarterbacks of the past decade. And uh, when I looked at it on total value, it was Russell Wilson. It was Cam Newton. Uh, the names you would expect. When I looked at it per play, most of the names at the top were, again, the names you'd expect. Newton, Wilson, Aaron Rodgers, Andrew Luck, all these guys who can make good plays with their legs. But the number one guy was Jay Cutler. <laughs> I fell out of my chair, and I, I didn't understand this, and I looked it up, and what happens is – he didn't run nearly as often as those other guys did, but carry for carry. And when you take out kneel downs, that's an important part because yep. many, you know, something like 40, uh, I want to say like 40% of his official runs were two yard losses. When you take those out, when he ran, he picked up a lot of third and long conversions. You didn't realize it because over the course of a season, it's less than a dozen plays. But we added it up over the decade. Uh, that's what you get. So Anyway, that's just an example of the kind of thing where um, you, that, that, that ratio of 80-20, uh, 80% should make sense, 20% should surprise you, but you should be able to explain why those 20 happened
2: and learn from it. Yes, absolutely, I could, could not agree more with both of those observations. And You need the 80% because that kind of corroborates your feeling and validates the study for you in a sense, but yeah. then that 20% is what's, is what's really cool, and you get these surprising results and you find, wow, I would never have expected that. Believe me, I I, I doubled
3: and triple-checked my numbers. thought, like, where am I making this mistake? And when I f- couldn't find a mistake, I, I looked at, well, what's he doing right? And basically, as a runner, his results were very similar to Russell Wilson's, except they happened much, much, much less often. So that's how it worked in his case. But if I had done the same study and it had been Peyton Manning and Drew Brees and uh, who's another statue?
2: Uh, yeah, th- those are good ones. Peyton Manning so had... Negative yardage for the decade, and yes. that was because most of his were Neils and yeah. hardly ever left for a left the pocket for a run.
3: Eli Manning. If those have been the names on top, then I would have known I screwed up somewhere.
1: <laughs>
2: all right, all right. So outstanding stuff here. Let's see. What else did I not ask? I did want to have one definitional question that I forgot to ask earlier. Uh, is a is a player counted as a rusher if they only rush after the pocket is broken? So uh, that's a that's a not totally uncommon thing that there's an additional rusher who's sure. assigned to drop his zone. Okay.
3: Yeah, the, the, the most typical guy draws back to, you know, you know, cover the hook zone or he's watching the back, but the back stays in the block, so then he rushes. Um, and that, that goes in the category that could be hard to tell, and different, you know, r- reasonable people could have different different opinions about the same play. Uh, that would Typically, it's just his first step. Uh, if he charges forward, he's a pass rusher. If he delays or drops back, he's a, a, a coverage player.
2: Okay. So it, it's
3: typically really at, at the snap what he does.
2: Okay. And the, there was one other is if a guy engages at the line of scrimmage, usually the most common one I have trouble with is with an eligible receiver, where it appears yeah he's probably covering that guy, but the eligible receiver is not making an attempt to you know go out for a route. He's really trying to block him at the same time. Is he a pass rusher then or is he a coverage guy?
3: Um, that can be a very hard thing to 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 to, to tell. Uh, I I have charted games myself, but the, the these numbers we're using, we actually get them from Sports Info Solutions. So the the exact play by play definition you'd have to ask them. But I have done I have charted games. I know the kind of plays you're talking about. It is definitely a gray area and hard to tell. Um, like I say, we're using it's usually just based on the first step. So if for example the the tight end fires off into the inside or outside linebacker. And the outside linebacker fires back into him. And then at that point, he's probably going to be counted as a pass rusher, um, regardless of what he, unless he clearly drops off into coverage. Um, so um, it, it, it's a gray area. It's hard to tell, but in, in the play you're describing, I believe he
2: would typically be counted as a pass rusher. Okay. All right. Very good. So I didn't, I didn't mean to derail this whole conversation, but very enjoyable nonetheless. The defensive back blitzes though, let's talk about that a little bit and how the Ravens, uh, went to work there this is
3: it, it's the last part of my story but it's actually the the biggest part of my story and uh as far as news goes it, it probably should have led the article so the ravens used a defensive black uh, defensive back blitz 28 percent of the time that's a ton obviously more than a quarter of all plays uh cleveland was next at 18 percent so 10 percent less often uh the prior record was only 21 percent the New York jets in 2012. So almost a wow. decade ago. And and that record was just blown out of the water. Um, 153 defensive back blitzes by the Ravens last year. That's almost 10 per game. Um, there were 11 defensive backs who had at least 10 pressures last year. Four of them were Ravens. So it's not just like they had, it's not as if just only Earl Thomas was blitzing play after play after play. They were using everyone. Um, and part of this, you know, it's because it's 2019 uh, teams are using more defensive backs on the field in the first place. So they're out there more. But when you look at the gap between them and everyone else, not just last year, but over the past decade, it's just massive. And it's it's what uh, it's what Martindale did and ob- obviously what worked. And I do have a question for you, actually, as someone who watched the Ravens game by game last year. Uh, we also count injuries. I was going to look this up beforehand and I forgot until right now. But um, mm-hmm. We track uh, injuries to players, not only did they miss the game, but were they on injury report, figuring that even if a guy, if a guy is listed as questionable, even if he plays, he's probably at less than 100%. And the Ravens were at or near the top of injuries to defensive backs last year and still did everything the Ravens did, which is a huge testament to Martindale. Um, But my question for you is, did did you notice a rise in defensive back
2: blitzes as the injuries in the secondary started to pile up, you know what? It almost went in the opposite direction this last year. So the the Ravens' season for six weeks, they lost Jimmy Smith on four plays into the season or something. It was it was very briefly, very quickly in the Miami game, okay. and they they didn't have him back until midseason. I think he might have been an IR DTR, but he came back like week eight or nine, um, and then they acquired Marcus Peters in week seven. So basically, it's the, it's the really unusual situation where a team gets healthier in the secondary as the season goes on. Okay. And, and the other situation they had is they had a big injury to Tony Jefferson, which then gave the – first of all, gave the uh, job to Chuck Clark, and then the green dot went to Chuck Clark one week later, and he was really one of the very dominant defensive players. So, you know, the Ravens' secondary not only got, got better – in terms of recovering from injury, but the loss of Tony Jefferson actually ended up being a disguised benefit because Clark was so good. You know, Tony was a was a terrific player, but um, he just, he didn't have it in, in 2019 and, and Clark was a lot better.
3: Yeah. And to, just to double check my own numbers here. Yes. Baltimore was number one in, uh, we call it adjusted games lost, but mm-hmm. yeah, the most adjusted games lost in the secondary and the next two teams were the dolphins and Falcons. They were not good defenses last year.
2: (laughs) Very good. So the
3: the total defensive games lost for the Ravens uh, were how many? Uh, At the – let me look at that. Bear with me. Uh, 44 in the secondary. Uh, On defense, total defense, we have – scroll, scroll, (laughs) scroll. Totals. There it is. We have them with a total of – Oh, fifty-nine, which was a distant second to the Jets, but still second in the league. So they were, uh, they were beat up on defense.
2: And that's that's certainly not the way I would have described the season. I would describe themselves as kind of having a horseshoe up their rear end in terms of yeah. not being injured because the players they lost, um, you know, some of those were not terrible losses. Honestly, they lost Pernell McPhee, so they lost him for a fair amount of time. That really hurt. Um, and they lost Jimmy Smith, but they got him back right when they were, you know, winning. Uh, and they lost Tony Jefferson, which actually probably helped, honestly. So uh, that's well, we all, a lot of their total games lost.
3: Yeah, I wrote this. This is months ago. I wrote this. So I'm looking back over it now. Um, Tavon Young missed the entire year with a neck injury. Oh yeah. Uh, so he might have been the slot corner. Um, Deshaun Elliott missed ten games with a knee injury. Um, and then you know, talk, talked about Jimmy Smith and 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 and, and Tony Jefferson. So. Um yeah it's it's for 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 the secondary it's a ton um and I, as you say dude, you know the the trade for Marcus Peters covered up a lot of those injuries and uh uh the, the Clark's performance covered up a lot of that but um that's interesting because most teams most most observers of a specific team will usually tell you oh we had bad injury luck last year mm-hmm. and that's why we started doing this is to just find out you know which teams actually did um, so it's unusual to me that you actually have the opposite perspective and not realize a team was as injured <laughs> as it was.
2: I, I, You know, Tavon is one of the ones that I put, a, put aside. Uh, he's so good and he actually ha- hurt the Ravens more, his injury, because it forced Humphrey into the slot where I think he's less effective than being on the outside. So it's it really was it had a multiple, you know, domino impact on the Ravens defense. I just kind of forgotten about the injury. But, you know, in terms of the in-season injuries, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it really they really didn't hurt the Ravens. They certainly didn't hurt them defensively in general. The, the Ravens had a remarkable year across the board, all three levels oh, yeah. in terms of rebuilding the defense on the fly. So they they flushed their entire inside linebacker core after week four. Never heard of a team doing that. <laughs> Went to the street, got two guys. Martindale folded them right into the defense, and they were both very effective, Bynes and Fort. And, and they got two new nose tackles and had four active nose tackles on the roster for some game, some games at midseason. Those guys jumped in and were very good, particularly Demata Pecco. And uh, uh, they also had another outside linebacker, Jihad Ward, they picked up off the scrap heap. Who became an important part of their run defense? So, you know, they, they had a great season of of general yeah. managing on defense.
3: Yeah, and they, you know, it's, it's you know the Ravens. They've been one of the best run teams of the past decade or more. Um, I'm looking it up right now. We got their numbers on personnel usage um, from last season. This is, these numbers are from Football Outsiders Almanac, which is available at FootballOutsiders.com or on Amazon
2: right now in hard copy. Um, Cri- but they were. Great book, by the way. And I thought you guys were calling it something different now. You had to drop the Football Almanac or whatever. But it's still Uh, called the Almanac? It had an
3: old name. Prospectus. It it used to be Pro Football Prospectus. And uh, we were working with the Baseball Prospectus folks. And that's ancient history now. Um, Pro Football. uh, Excuse me. I almost said it again. Football Outsiders Almanac. uh, Available at Amazon. And and this year's and prior editions also available at footballoutsiders.com. But uh, they were... The Ravens last year in twenty nineteen they only used four defensive backs, you know, quote unquote base defense. They mm-hmm. only used that nine percent of the time, which is last in the league,
2: and they were in dime personnel forty four percent of the time, which was second most. So, you know, that's, one of the reasons- that's slightly different from what I have, but not material. The ten point six percent dime, they yeah. have 422 percent dime or quarter. They played a fair amount of seventy, not a lot, three point nine percent, but the but the forty two point two percent by far the highest in Ravens history. The highest previously was thirty four and a half in two thousand. And one other, it just occurred to me. One other reason there might be these minor discrepancies
3: in our numbers. We we count uh, defensive pass interference penalties. We essentially
2: count those as completed passes. So that I don't know how you treat those. Uh, I well uh, I exclude uh, Neals spikes. Uh, special teams players resulting in a run or pass, and that's really not a defensive formation, so you don't have anything to go on. And uh, penalties that are accepted. So those those plays are out of there. And the reason is I want to match to the total within the game book very right. easy and simply. So that's a that's the reason I do it. Okay. But
3: anyway, regardless, uh the, the, the Ravens were in dime as much as anyone else last year, and that's partly why they used so many, partly why they used so many defensive back blitzes, is because they had those guys
2: on the field and somebody had to rush. Right. So that's a great point. Now you're a Seattle fan. Uh, you probably know this already, but Earl Thomas rushed as much or maybe even slightly more this last year than he had in his entire career at Seattle.
3: I'm pretty sure uh, that the story was he never had a sack as a Seahawk.
0: And that's correct.
3: one of the reasons he went to Baltimore is they promised him the opportunity to get
2: <laughs> one. And, and uh, I think he got two, right? <laughs> Where- he, had, he had two. And I want to say another half wiped out by penalty too. So it's a, it was a big pass rush year for him. And, uh, yeah. Honestly, he's very effective at it. He uh, got got good individual pressure.
3: He you know in, in in Seattle, he was playing center field, deep center field 90% of the time. Um you know, getting a little off topic here, but people always said the Pete Carroll Seahawks played a cover 3, and someone who watched them I said, "No, no, they play a cover 2, but Earl Thomas covers both halves." <laughs> so yeah, that's right. It was like it was like having tw- you
2: know Seahawks uh, relevant, it was like having 12 men on the field. Is very much uh you could tell from the heat maps that he got the Ed Reed treatment. And Ed, Ed Reed, you know, the famous yeah. bracelet of Tom Brady you've seen that says find twenty on every play. It's actually <laughs> written on his armband. Yeah. <laughs> it's, 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 it said something like flex, flex, knees down, no turnovers. And then the next line is find twenty on every play. And I just yep. that's the greatest respect I've ever seen. But anyway, the heat maps show you that Earl had a lot of that respect. I don't completely believe target numbers for uh, center field safeties because I think, uh, depending on who's counting them, they may count the underneath player as the targeted player more often. But they had an absurdly low number of targets for Thomas this last year, and I, it might have been as low as twenty-four for the, okay, for think, the entire season.
3: I think we, that kind of safety. Um, it, it depends on the team and the scheme. If you've talk, you know, some teams uh, do play a lot of man coverage, and then they're reliable. Um, for the, for the, what the Seahawks were doing uh individual targets were not nearly as relevant as targets to certain areas of the field and they had whole years where they gave up like two or three completions to the deep middle all 16 games Um so that, that's how they used them and it was very very effective and uh <laughs> And he went to to Baltimore for assorted reasons, <laughs> and he was very effective there in a, in a in an entirely different role. But I'm I'm not surprised that he, he's you know he's a football player. He's going to be good at pretty much everything.
2: Yeah, I we're very happy to have him. Obviously, there's some yeah. there's some debate over how just how great he was. There's a, there's definitely some observable speed loss, I think, from him. Uh, but uh, but still, definitely throws a black cloud over the deep middle of that field. A lot of fear there in terms of opposing quarterbacks and their willingness to throw there. It's, it's extremely useful, obviously to to have that.
3: (laughs) Good to have him.
2: Uh, I've enjoyed this tremendously, Vincent. I'd love to have you on again someday about another topic. I will keep an eye out for your articles and uh, and give you a call. I did want to talk a, 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 a little bit, but we'll save it for another time about some of the uh, uh, variations of um, uh, deception that are used by Martindale, but we've kind of woven in some of that to, to what we've talked about. I did maybe I'll mention one. The Ravens this this last year, very unusual team in that they have two. Very adept coverage linebackers playing on the outside on passing downs in Bowser and Judon. Neither of them is, a, is really a one-on-one pass rush winner, as I would term it, a fast one-on-one winner. Judon, decent number of sacks, fourth in the league in quarterback hits, but but he's really a—it a, a, takes time for him to get home. Uh, those, Martindale made a living with having one or both of those guy, drop guys drop to cover and that allowing other pressure to come from other places— And develop pressure quickly Mm -hmm. so i know that you guys look more at the at the overall play but i just want to make the point that there are four man rushes and there are four man rushes so you can rush four and it's a vanilla four what i would call a four zero chart is a four zero with no elements of deception or you can you can run a four two where your two edge rushers are dropping off and then you're rushing the slot corner and another guy from inside linebacker and you're really overloading one side and it's it's a lot more effective and so I, I, while I, I always appreciate looking at pass rush by numbers, I, it, my opinion is that it's subtly more important probably to have what your elements of deception are. The Steelers are big in this too in terms of yes. of having four-man rushes that include zone blitzes and whatnot.
3: No, I, I agree. Um, and, and that's the kind of thing that if I was going to look at, we have access to the pass coverage numbers of players like Judon. I could I could look that up and, and you know, you we, we can uh, figure out, well, which teams are, 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 which teams are using four-man rush, but also using unusual four-man rushes. Uh, one of the numbers we track is just we, we split uh, uh, sacks up by uh, edge rushers, interior linemen, and what we call second-level sacks, which is inside linebackers and four-three outside linebackers and defensive backs. And obviously, okay. the Ravens were number one in that category. Um, so that right there tells you, uh, you know, uh, well, <laughs> Ravens are a bad example because they blitzed a lot. But I could go through here. Uh, if I have the time and find a team that ranked high in second level sacks, but still use a lot of four man rushes. And that might be a team that, like you said, they're, they're relying on deception more than they are on simply winning one-on-one
2: matchups. All right. Well, Vincent, appreciate having you on as a guest here. Folks out there, make sure you go to footballoutsiders.com, Look for Vincent's work, but also just read their other stuff. Cause it's a fantastic site. Lots of good information, drive statistics, Devoer reports on a weekly basis. I love the playoff odds there as something that, uh, you know, is is an interesting model behind it. A lot of people now have some feature like that on their site, but the football outsider is kind of the granddaddy of having that.
3: Yeah. And I'm going to plug uh, the, the two things I contribute to during the season, which is hard to believe is apparently as best we can tell going to be just around the corner. Uh, but we, we do uh, a section called, or assuming an article called audibles uh, audibles, the line, which is the internal emails we send to each other as we watch the games on Sundays, and that gets all published on Monday morning. Cool. And, my, and my column uh, its called Quick Reads, looking at the best and most, imp- and even, uh, as importantly, the worst players of each week that goes live sometime early Tuesday morning after Monday Night Football. So those are my two articles you can look, at, look for at footballoutsiders.com.
2: Now, I've, I've got to look at the audibles. That sounds like a great interchange. Is this interchanges on some chat system you have or Twitter, or what is it exactly that you uh...
3: – <laughs> We're still a very old school, and we just keep sending emails to each other. Uh, we keep t- talking about how, boy, we should just open a Google Doc. This may be editing a lot easier, but it somehow never gets done. Maybe that's something I'll, I'll get started here in the next two or three weeks. But it's it's something that could have been done essentially in, like, 1988 <laughs> or, or 98 <laughs> at least. Uh, but it, it, it's basically a group live blog. And it's the kind of thing we, when I'm writing, you know, I wrote the Rams and Seahawks chapters for, for, for the Almanac this year. And one of the things I did was go back and read the Audible's thread for, for each of those games. And uh, just to remind myself how the season went and how things looked at the time. Um, so you, 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 I learned a lot from it, even in hindsight. And, and you know, hopefully your, your, uh, your listeners will, too. All right. All right. Vincent, terrific having you on here. Anything else to plug? A Twitter handle? Uh, you can follow me on Twitter. It's complicated. I need to change this, as I have in the past five years, but it's at F.O. underscore V. Verheye. <laughs> as, as my friend says, it sounds like a password, but F.O. Yeah. is in Football Outsiders. V. is in Vincent. verhai is in my last name. So uh, you can find me there. I uh, write about football for Football Outsiders. Uh, For fans of professional wrestling, I also cover that for frwonline.com, doing three podcasts a week for the Brian and Vinny show. Uh, I don't know how I fell into this life, but it's it's
2: what I do. (laughs) That's very cool now that's it that's an interesting sidelight there for the with the pro wrestling stuff yeah. uh, what I want to want to mention to people if you want to be on a film study short uh, please let me know uh, I particularly love to see any study information like what Vincent has done talk through that talk through your methodology and and you know really publicize your study for you hopefully and and uh, talk about it in make people interested in it uh if you uh if you otherwise want to be on and just have a topic about the ravens that's cool too just uh, send me a direct message on twitter is probably the easiest way at film study ravens vincent thanks again for joining us today thank you thank you for having me on i appreciate it all right and we'll talk to you next time on film study
0: Birdland sports for fans by fans.
1: Find more great shows like this at birdlandsports.com.